Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, September 20th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. We're going to open the phone lines right now. So start dialing. If you have any maintenance-related calls, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. Looks like we've got the team from Pittsburgh Power lined up today. We've got Bruce and Pete and JR is with us today. So we'll hear from them. Then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. All right, we're going to talk to Bruce. Looks like you're first up on the board today. Welcome back. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. And you're right on time today, buddy. You're you're on it. There you go. There you go. I have lots of small subjects. First one, guy is specking out a new truck with a pack car with the 12-speed Eaton auto. I'm assuming it's an Eaton. It's a 12-speed auto shift transmission that's coming in it. And we did some research. 12th gear is 0.77 overdrive, so 11th gear is 1 to 1. So this is only a now it's a double over, but you know, it only has one overdrive gear. Right. So if a person is buying this transmission and they want to run in direct, that would be 11th gear. But it does have two reverse gears, a faster one and a slower one, which I thought was pretty unusual. It would be kind of neat to see how they did that. I was going to say, how do you choose that gear? I don't know. Huh. I guess if you're going to back uphill or back on down on a level, if you're empty or loaded. But it has two reverse gears. I wonder how they did that inside the transmission, too. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to see a cutaway, yeah. cutaway view of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I have, yeah, let, I let, have a guy let, that let, wants to... Let's talk about that for a second. Why? Okay. That seems odd to me. Now, we, we know we don't, when we spec trucks with these fast gears the way we want to, we know reverse can be a problem, low can be a problem. But why not just put a good low reverse gear in there? Why two? That seems like a lot of complication for what? Do I really ever want to go fast backing up? Why not just give me a good slow gear? <laughs> Doesn't that, seem, that. <laughs> doesn't that seem overly complicated? Yeah. Here, it, uh, here it is right here. That's, uh, reverse 1 is 16.92 and reverse 2 is 12.95. Just give me the 16. I don't need that 12 then. <laughs> that, that makes no sense so to me. Instead of a 12, this is actually a 14 speed, right? It's got two reverses. Yeah, that, so that makes no sense to me. You know, so, so, you know so what story that reminds me of? 14.43. That reminds me of the story. It turns out that it's not true, but it's a cool story to tell. So the story is that NASA spent 
uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out how to make a pen that could write in zero gravity because it pens need gravity for the ink to flow down. But they came up, they spent all this money, they came up with a pen that would write in zero gravity. And the joke was the Russians just use a pencil. <laughs> Why complicate things? When I was midnight dock foreman for Motor Freight Express in 1969, we had to go out and look at our trailers were eight foot wide, 40 foot long. But we had to go in and look and see what was inside some of them. And uh, so I had a clipboard. Plus, it was the midnight shift. Plus, it was cold. And so you're holding the clipboard up on the side of the trailer, and you're trying to write <laughs> with the pen facing uphill. And who doesn't and work? It would write for, they would write for a few words, and right. then you had to shake it. And, uh, yeah, it's, you're right. It doesn't work. Pens don't, don't write facing up. Just use a pencil. Okay. So, I got another guy uh, with a brand new 389. 605 horse. We've programmed it. He's changed the intake and the exhaust manifold. He's running the max mileage and the catalyst, and he says, I run the Kevin Rutherford speed. Actually, a little more. He said, I run 60 to 62. There you go. And he's at 7.9 7 mile per gallon. And it's got a cow catcher on the front of it. Nice. Yeah. So. Good numbers. Yeah. Then and I have another fella called the other day. He's running, uh, emailed me a DD 15. He runs your speed 58 and sometimes 60. He runs a one ounce of the max mileage catalyst. Oh, the, uh, that 389 is running the catalyst and the uh, max mileage improver or the mileage improver to one ounce of 25 gallons. So this guy, with the DD15 is running the catalyst, one ounce of 25 gallon, but he's running two ounces of the mileage improver, the 25 gallon, and he's averaging between 10.08 and 10.19 dedicated run. Wow. Yeah. Really good yeah. numbers. And they are. Excellent. And I had a fella call me called me yesterday and he's down about 10 pounds of turbo boost on a D-Deck 4. And it's got our program in it. I said, have you checked the clamps? No. Did you spray ether around the clamps and the hoses? No. Did you spray ether on the sides of the charger cooler? No. Did you pull your compressor housing off the turbo to make sure the compressor wheel hasn't hit the compressor housing? No. What have you done? I called you. <laughs> I have one more we, we should probably check. We should probably make sure the gauge is right first, right? Well... I mean, it can't oh, hurt. No. I mean, we know the gate, but oh. his pyrometer is up a couple hundred degrees. Okay. So, and it is in the cold side. It's in the exhaust pipe and has no trouble going to a thousand. And he has to keep backing out of it and dropping gears. But he can't get near Pittsburgh and he's afraid to let somebody else pressure test it. He doesn't know anyone else that can do pressure testing or smoke tests. I said, uh, you've got to start working on this truck. You need to get a 716 deep well socket 3H drive and check each clamp and check the hoses and spray them with ether and 
pull the compressor housing off the turbo. I mean, it's got one clamp that holds that compressor housing on there. And you have the clamp holding the rubber elbow on, bringing the fresh air in from the air cleaner. And you have the hose that goes to the charge air cooler. They're all 7 16 deep well. 3H drive. If there was one tool that you wanted to carry in your truck, <laughs> that'd be that's the one. What it should be. That'd be the one. That's the um, one. You know, and always carry two spare clamps and a spare hose going to the charger corner. You know, I thought we did a video of this, but I went and looked and I can't find it anywhere. Maybe we'll do it again. Just for the fun of it, when we were on the road one day, I pulled into a Home Depot and I. I kind of had a challenge like in three hours and less than $50, I'm going to test the charger cooler and I have no tools to even start. So I had to go in and buy everything, even the tools I needed. Like I bought a drill, I bought the cheapest drill I could find, but I bought everything I needed to build the charger cooler tester and test it in the parking lot. And it took me about three hours and about 50 bucks. And then the go. next time I checked it, it would have been much easier because I wouldn't have to go in and buy all the stuff and build the tool and you just go out and test it then. And it's, it's really right. not that hard. So let me say this. Years ago, you were supposed to remove your compressor housing every 30,000 miles and wash it and wash the compressor wheel. But nobody will do it, so I never talked about it, never right. wrote about it. Right. Every, or, I mean, it's every three that's months, a, right? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. But they build up that much dirt. And while you're in there, you get to see if the wheel is starting to touch the housing. So the compressor housing is the fresh air housing. It's the aluminum side. And while you have it off, you should get your fine sandpaper out and your aluminum polish and polish it. If you polish the volute part that fits up against the compressor wheel, you gain two to three pound of boost, but you gain it. Not only do you gain a two or three pound of boost and that lowers your exhaust temperature 75 degrees, but you gain the boost quicker. You know, Bruce, one of the, yeah, when we, when we talk about those things, you know, like that, that that was a pretty obscure maintenance item that even back when, you know, we were running just mechanical engines, most people still didn't do that every 30,000 miles. Nobody does it. Now, but look today, why you might not even consider anything like that, because how much harder is it to get to most turbos today and do that? It used to be fairly simple. Today, it's a nightmare on most mm -hmm. trucks. That's right. You know, in fact, you could probably make the argument that you're going to probably do more damage than anything else trying to get in there to do that. The odds of something going wrong are probably pretty high. Well, when you go to take a compressor housing off, if it doesn't just come off with your hands, then you have to take a small, like a plastic hammer, plastic yeah. snap-on makes one that's a, a plastic hammer, and you tap and you tap it evenly because you have to pull it off straight forward. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Uh, well, got another guy called me he's buying bought a new 389 and he runs texas to florida he wants to run 75 mile per hour 
And I told him, I said, you know, you're going to have to be down in the 279s running in overdrive or down around a 228 to run in direct. And the dealer wouldn't listen to him, and the dealer put 336 rears in it. Oh. Uh. He's got He's got 2,600 miles on it. He's at 1,600 RPM at 75. And he's at the dealership right now, as we speak in Texas, trying to get them to change the differentials. I told him to call me let me know what happens. Back in the 1990 through 94, when we were a Marmon dealer, if you had a new truck and you wanted to change the dips, and the truck hadn't been used. So I think there was a mileage on 2,000, 3,000 miles. You could pull the pumpkins off, take them to Eaton in Allentown, and they would exchange them. And it was like $250. So I'd leave at 4 o'clock in the morning with these pumpkins and get to Allentown <laughs> at 8 a.m. And I'd be back by noon, and we'd be putting them in the truck. There you go. So, Anyway, when you're ordering a new truck, you got to be specific. You might want to write everything down that you tell the dealership. You might even want to get to the salesman and have them sign it because mistakes like this are happening. A week or two ago, I talked about a guy with an international. It's 2012 or 13, and his floor was getting too hot. And on the passenger side from the exhaust pipe, I had them wrap it with header wrap. It took two and a half boxes of header wrap. I think each box has 25 feet in it. He called me the other day. He said, I can't believe the difference in how cool my truck is now on the inside and how cool the floor is. Wow. So that works. Yes. And I got a message today on Messenger. Guy with a, uh, a a built Harley engine. I think he said it's 117 cubic inch, and it's vibrating so much that it's vibrating the one cover off the side of the engine. And he remembers I wrote an article about the mercury-filled balancers on Harley-Davidson's and how it fixed my 99 wide glide. Well, I wrote that article. 23 years ago. He remembered it. <laughs> That's wild. Holy cow. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, That was is. awesome. That makes me feel good when people uh, remember those uh, older articles yeah. or they go looking for them on our website. If you can't find them on the website, you type my name, Bruce Mallinson, into Google. And a lot of the articles come up, especially the older ones. And if you can't find our videos on the website, which I think is pretty easy to find, you can type my name into YouTube and you'll see a lot a lot of the videos, not all of them. Good, good. Um, all right. That's what I have for today. And uh, right now, for breakfast, I'm having my macadamia with coconut nut butter. There you go. That bomb. There you go. Good stuff. Hey, last week, you asked, right. last week you asked me a question. I didn't know the answer. I have the answer now. I am monitoring three numbers every day. The water temperature out in the river right now is 68. Mm, it's cooling down. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it'll get to 40. 
roughly about 40. That's cold. Yeah, in January. So I'm looking for a new winter suit. My, my goal is to get out at least once every month of the year. Well, 50 degrees water, if you don't carry a lot of body fat, will almost make it so you can't breathe. Yeah, yeah, that's so, pretty. But I have been doing my cold therapy, so it should be easier now. And that, that's going to be my cold therapy in the wintertime, yeah. I'm going to go out there in the wintertime, get my cold therapy and People my boarding that, in. At ski resorts, will be in a hot tub, and then they jump out and lay in the snow and do the angel wings. Yeah, yeah, I've And that, that shocks the body so hard. My chiropractor's told me not to do that because it shrinks the muscles so fast that it'll pull with the vertebrae in your back and pull them out of place. Somebody should so tell be the, careful with that cold stuff. Somebody should tell the Swedes and the Norwegians that. They've been doing it forever. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's find out what's going on with uh, Pete. Looks like you're up next. Welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind this week? So a couple things I want to go over. One would be uh, on Monday. Next Monday, we'll have the winter blend ready to ship. So we have it here to test get bottled. So we're going to put it on the website so guys that want to order it can order it, and it'll ship on Monday. This Saturday, we have our truck show that we do with um, long-haul detailing next door. It's going to be at the Butler Fairgrounds on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. for anyone that's in the area. I uh, wanted to go over that. And then one of my parts guys was telling me that the cat prices are starting to jump up. Uh, Cummins generally has their price increase in January, and they did one in June. Um, but uh, cat prices, just we were pricing out thermostats, cylinder heads, um, injectors, and they went up quite a bit. So if someone is going to order them, be prepared. Prices just went up. Wow. And, and quite a bit. Like, that went up like $18. Oh, that is a lot. Yeah. First item like that. Holy cow. So people prepared for prices and they're going up everywhere. And it yep. seems like with the, you know, the industry that uh, they don't all go up at the same time. Yeah. Which now it feels like something is going up all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, and we briefly touched on this before, was was coolant analysis. And this kind of ties into the fact when we're saying, "Hey, let's watch cost, but let's not skimp on maintenance." Right. And this would be one that would, be, that would fall into that category. Um, so you you should do coolant analysis twice a year. Uh, the coolant sample bottle. Uh, and the sample, and then the mailing label is 94 bucks. So we're looking at less than 200 bucks a year to do this. Right. And little tidbits of information. Um, what, what makes it important is that in the last 50 years, the trucks are now running 40 degrees hotter than what they used to. Wow. The old KTA had 170-degree thermostat in them. Yeah, that's Big true. Big Cam's had 180. Um, Detroit's, I think DDEC, Threes and fours were 185, and now everything's running 200 plus. Yeah, good point. I mean, even in uh, 2010 or 12 ISX, I mean, they bobtailed 200 degrees. Yeah, you know, and the older trucks, you could get them to 200 degrees under load, even. Right, 
And the other factor is the coolants have changed a lot over a couple decades. They have. And what I've been reading on this is uh, engine failure because of coolant problems can be up to 40% of the, the failures are because of bad coolant. Wow. So it is something that's overlooked. Let's yeah. face it, when was the last time you checked antifreeze? Uh, nobody does. I mean, in, unless you no. end up with a problem, a leak, pressurizing, something like that, nobody bothers. Why would you? I had to, on my Ford Ranger, and this is the second Ranger I've had, um, the thermostat will stick open. I don't know if it's debris in there or whatever it might be, but it won't make heat. So that's when I changed the coolant because I had to drain it anyhow. Right. So why not right. do it? Yep. So it's a 2011 Ranger, and I've only had, this is the, second, the first time I've changed the antifreeze in it, which is probably more than what I should have gone with it. I should maintain it. And again, we're looking at, what, two gallons, two and a half gallons of corn? That's <laughs> right. not a big... Right. Should do it a little more often. No one does it. Now, good point. And what they, you know, what they're checking for, um, you know, one thing would be combustion, which is people aren't sure if you're putting pressure in a radiator on where it's coming from. You know, if it's an air compressor, it's not going to put um, combustion. Yeah, that's have, right. It's just air. Yeah. So they can tell have an idea where it might be coming from you know of course they're going to check the concentration is it good enough for winter they check for water which of course there's water in antifreeze but it might not be water right so if they're using tap water or worse well water there could be iron in there um chloride calcium um, yeah all kinds of stuff that builds up right so that's something that I think uh, would go with the maintenance that, hey, let's go back to basics and let's do our oil sample every 25,000 miles you know, twice a year. Let's do a coolant sample uh, boost. Like, you know, that's something we do here automatically. The truck comes in, it's getting tested. I mean, it's right. As soon as we open up the invoice, it says boost test because most people don't do it. We generally find some sort of small leak. A lot of times it's just snugging up a clamp. But we do find some bigger leaks, right? And with the price of fuel, um, and not only that, it's you know you got a boost leak, you're not you're going to lose fuel mileage, power, but it also is going to throw off the oil analysis. We're not going to have good combustion. We're going to get soot in there. Uh, that might have you change your oil sooner than what you should have to change it. So any of these are things that should be done on a regular basis, uh, you know, for maintenance to help uh, bring costs down. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. You know, I, I've told this story before, but it kind of points out how how the charger cooler you were talking about, you test everyone that comes in, how overlooked that has been in this industry forever. And I've bragged about my shop in Orlando. It took me a long time to find one. I built a relationship. Um, been recommending them for years. But when I first went to them and said, hey, you know, when my truck's in for service, I want the charger cooler tested. They looked at me like I had three heads. They're like, are you kidding? Why would you do that? And I thought, well, that's a strange reaction. And I'm like, well, if it leaks, it's a real problem. So let's just test it. And luckily, I happened to stop in um, when they were working on it. And I walked up to the truck and I'm, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're taking out the charger cooler. And at first I thought, well, they tested it and it's got a hole, but I thought they would have asked me first. And I said, oh, why? 
And they said, well, we're sending it out for testing. And I thought, oh, my God. Wow. They, they were sending it out to have it put in a dunk tank. Yeah. And, and that goes back to we have a small machine, which they're expensive. And I, we bought one. I'm thinking, oh, boy, that's a lot of money. But it does help finding leaks. It does. Especially yep. with the inserts. You know, you could tell you had a leak, but you couldn't tell where it was coming find from it. with all the plumbing. Right. You, right. And, and your um, coach was a perfect example. Right. The machine, you know, for itself. But going back to just, you know, we have what we use when I worked in a shop was an elbow that would go over the turbo. The other end had a, it was a piece of um, sore pipe, the cap for a sore pipe. In there, clamped on, hole drilled through it and tapped for a fitting. And we would put regulated air pressure in there. Right. And it doesn't take much. Right. If you have a leak, it's chop six, eight pounds and, and test it. And again, uh, I get some pushback from customers. I didn't ask you to do that. I don't want to pay for it. Well, I understand that. Please, I do it soon and you come back and say, I'm not happy with it. Well, you might not be happy with it. Is, is that, or, is know, that I And like, oh, I knowledge. Well, it's because you had a boost leak. So it's something that should be tested on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, it should. Really should. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from Jr. You lurking back there? Yes, sir. There he is. Good morning. Well, good morning. What's on your mind this week? Uh, I don't really have anything. I'm just extraordinarily busy because I'm the only guy in the shop doing tunes, so I'm very behind the gun this week. Got it. Got it. A lot of tunes. We'll give you a break. On vacation. Yeah. Oh, we'll give you a break then. All right. So I have something to uh, talk about before we get to the calls. Phone lines are open. We've got some calls coming in. Jump in and join us. We're going to head to the calls here in just a minute or two. 855-950-3835. So remember, uh, we're dealing with Herschel and his injector issue. I think we talked to him last week on the show. We've talked to him a couple times about this. So he called yesterday. He's got 10,000 miles and he pulled a sample and fuel dolution is already up to like 3.6. That's not a number we would worry about at 25,000 miles, but I'm a little concerned that it's that high at 10,000 already. So he's going to pull another sample at 20. But um, Brian called and we got talking about something and I got thinking about this. So it's kind of always been our approach that if you're going to replace injectors, just replace all six. You're in there. It's a, there's a lot of labor to get that far. Replace all six. But now I'm starting to wonder when, because it sounds like we're going to, we might be facing this injector issue again, like we did a couple years ago, where you just have a hard time getting good injectors. And we keep seeing people replace injectors and fuel dilution doesn't go away. If we've already done six, and and I know a lot of times we'll go back and do all six again, maybe we should, if we've already done all six and we have a problem, would it make more sense to just go back and look for one? Maybe we need to look for a crack in the head. Or that, yeah. But I'm just wondering if we keep, we keep throwing six injectors at a time, and if the issue is we're getting bad rebuilds, well, then you just increased your odds six times that you're going to get a bad one. 
Is this a Detroit, Kevin? Yeah. A 12-7? Yeah, it is. Okay. Which, so, you know, we've had, I had a, a lady come in, make an appointment for fuel dilution a year or two ago. Detroit rebat, Rebuild. They put 27 injectors in it. Oh. They replaced the <laughs> fuel pump. And it was, it wasn't like it was 3% at 25,000 miles. Okay. It's tough to find. Right. It was high enough that should have been easy to find. So there's two methods you would use. Uh, take the valve cover off. We actually have a valve cover made up where we take theirs off and we put this one on that has the very top cut out. So oh, okay. it keeps the spray down. Right. Put dye in the fuel and you fire the truck up and you shine a black light over it. So just say it's number one injector is bad. It will glow like a fluorescent yellow or green, depending on the, the dye you're using. And then you isolate it to that cylinder. Is it, um, is it the injector? Is it an injector O-ring? Right, is it a it. crack at the injector? You kind of figure it out. If, as you're doing this, everything starts to glow. Oil is everywhere. <laughs> right. Generally, that's fuel pump. Okay. Because it's leaking from the pump to the pan up through the engine. Uh, we, we did that test. Nothing showed up. The next test is something that we had used for years is we will pressure te- put air pressure into the return side of the cylinder head, right at the head, 60, 70 pounds of air pressure. That'll cover off, and I would take an oil can and kind of first thing would spurt around the injector board where the injector's at. So if it bubbles up, that means it's a cut O-ring or a cracked head. Okay. And isolate that. It doesn't show up. The next thing you do is um, score it around the injectors or listen for a leak at the injectors. That's, on the older engines, that seemed to work very well. We would do that. Um, now, when you don't find anything, that's when you go to the fuel pump. Like on the old big cams, we would just rebuild the fuel pump. Right. Um, because you, but we are seeing, and this is generally a 60 series problem, where there's substantial oil or fuel in the oil, it's showing up on oil analysis, and you can't find it. It's, it's not showing up when we do these tests. And I think that's why they're throwing deep for six metrics. I don't think they can find it. That, I'm sure if they would be able to isolate it, they would just replace that one injector, because that's got to be costly. And that lady had 27 oh, injectors put in that's it. That's insane. So well, maybe my... fuel pump. It was replaced as well, and so was the cylinder head on her truck okay. by Detroit. And then we did our test, and, and nothing showed up. So you verified that it wasn't the fuel pump. So maybe my advice to him was good then because I said, look, if, um, you know, if you take another sample at, at 20,000 and you're way elevated again, um, and his, he's, you know, should he buy another truck? He doesn't want to buy them right now because in six months, trucks are probably going to be a lot cheaper. And I said, look, if, if it shows up high again, what if you just ignore it? What if you just run it, throw some Lucas in when you change the oil, you get a little bit of protection. Maybe we change the oil a little more often. Uh, but what, what if you just ignore it? I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? We'll start to see wear metals. Maybe you'll start to put some wear on the engine. But I have a feeling you could easily ignore this for six months and, and wait for truck prices to come down. And, and not that oil is cheap, but, that, you know, in this case, do you pay way too much for a truck or do an oil change sooner than you'd like? Yeah, maybe you do 10,000-mile oil changes for now and throw some Lucas in. Yeah. 
And you could probably run this truck for a year like that. Oh, yeah. If it's under Detroit's warranty, um, you know, I'd take it back to Detroit and let them try to figure it out. But I have a feeling, and I love these engines. I'm not by any means talking bad on the 60 series. I think it's a great engine, but this is just an issue we're seeing with it. And I I don't know. It should be cut and dry. You would think so. Yeah. It has to be coming from someplace. Why is it not showing up? Unless, is this something that's occurring when the engine's hot? Are the injectors fine, basically? That could be. Temperature, some heat to the engine, but it's not the same as a truck going down the road at 195 degree water temp. Right. You know, the the pyrometer's at at 800 degrees. I mean, you've got a lot of heat going on there. Is well, something opening up that we're not seeing on, you know, what I'll call a static test? Yeah. No, I, I have a thought. I have a Go ahead. What about, what about that restrictor fitting on the back of the Detroit? What's the orifice? 80 thousandths or something? 80 or 110? Maybe it's clogged. Maybe it's creating excessive pressure inside the injector. And the pressure's got to go somewhere, and so it's going up alongside the plunger and out into the oil, hmm. out into the head. I'd, Herschel should replace that uh, restrictor on the back of the head. Couldn't hurt. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, you would think that there just aren't that many places that fuel could get into the oil, and we know most of them, and... I can't imagine a shop going through 27 injectors. What's the cost of that? I'm surprised that Detroit covered that. Right. Um, well, so that tells me that they know there's an issue. Right. Because with coming, you know, with a N14, so we know they have somewhat of an issue. Uh, I'm a Cummins dealer. I can replace two injectors under warranty. If there's a third one involved, I have to get Cummins involved. Okay. You know, and for good reason, they don't want someone saying, hey, let's throw six right. injectors in it. Right. Comes and I'll take a problem. So I can understand that the factory saying, no, we're not doing that. So the fact that Detroit's paying for it kind of tells me they know there's an issue and they don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. There is a thing with 60 series that when they jake down a hill long enough or just unloaded, the cylinders cool down and it goes into a, an odd mode where it'll retard the injection timing to uh, five to ten degrees after top dead center. Huh. I wonder if there's misfires happening. You're just washing cylinders, and that's where you get the fuel and the oil. Well, that's an idea too, huh? Sounds like we've got some work to do to figure this one out. All right, uh, I guess we're going to get some phone calls. Let's get started in Oregon today. Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, Bruce, everybody. I got a question on some gear ratios. I, I'm looking and considering buying a truck. Um, and I would be running in the 80,000 pound range, nothing heavy over that. But I'd be running uh, mostly the West Coast. And the 264 seems like it's awfully high, awfully high gear for the as many mountains are on the west coast let, let's stop right there because we need to change okay. your thinking before we start talking about numbers and this idea okay. that any 
gear ratio is too high is just incorrect. We could put a 140 in there and it wouldn't necessarily be too high. And the reason being is because we have a 12 or 13 or 14 gears to change our final gearing. So if a gear, if, if, if a gear is too high to climb a hill, well, it just use a lower gear in the transmission. So we use the rear end ratio not to try to solve every gearing problem we have. That would be impossible. We have lots of issues with gearing. We have to make sure we have a low enough gear to get started. We have to make sure we have a low enough reverse to back up. We have to have a fast enough gear to cruise at the right RPM. You can't possibly do that with one gear. That's what a transmission's for. So when we have this mindset that a a gear a rear end ratio is too high to climb hills that that's that's a fallacy that that's wrong thinking so i just want to change your thinking so that you're not evaluating every number that way by by saying a 264 is too high that's incorrect thinking so you have to change your thinking first does that make sense right yeah well it makes total sense and and i understand um kind of where, where, you know, where, where it's all coming from. I, I, I've driven a truck. I had an N14, a 13 speed and three thirty sixes. That's a lousy combination. I was going to say it really didn't, it sucked to take off, you know, to start out and it really sucked to back up. (laughs) Well, well, then on the highway, it was, it wasn't bad on the, on the flat highway, but well, even then, are are you buying a new truck? What's that? It's going to be a, are you buying a brand new truck? Uh, uh, it'll probably be a newer truck. Well, give us what engine and what what the year of truck, and we'll, then we can talk gears. Because if it's newer, you might be down around a two twenty eight gear, not two sixty four. Well, two sixty four was for a D deck four that wants to run fifty five to sixty five, yeah. or anything that wants to run fifty five to sixty five. So you got to tell us the speed you want to run. Bruce. And what engine and what year? Bruce, you just kind hey, of... Well, it would hey, be most- hey, hold on a second. Let me jump in here. Bruce, that was kind of my point was his first statement is that he feels like a 264 is too high. And you're right. We might be talking right. about 228s or even higher. So I want to get his thinking in the right place. And that Because you're yeah. right. We're going to be talking about numbers that are even higher than 264. So right. What and it, it would, year? Well, it would be mostly West Coast speed. So you're down in there, you know, 65 is like high, high speed. No, wait, wait, wait. California is 55. Exactly. Right. Right. That's why I was saying is 55. Now, now, when you right. say. Forget, forget the speed. You, you got to determine what you want for fuel mileage. Because if you want to run 75 mile per hour, then you don't get fuel mileage, but and, and you go seventy five. Well, and something but else you, we you haven't so, told me what engine or what year yet. So I'm I'm looking at, at the newer Volvos, probably not a brand new Volvo, but a newer. Uh, with with which engine? The the thirteen is that right? The thir- the, the thirteen the DD thirteen turbo yeah. compounded. You get you now. You have to di- di- distinguish between turbo compounded and not. So Volvo has two engines, two D13s that you would not spec the same. 
So we have to determine which D13. Is it the turbo compounded or not? Was it the 2019 is when they changed to the compound? Is that right? I thought it was... Yeah, I don't remember for sure. We we need to know that, but I can't remember for sure if it was twenty. I thought it was. So it would. It would most like, It would. It would be. Oh, okay, so it would be that compound because I'm not looking at anything much older than that. Well, then, as far so, as the, yeah. So if start. you're looking at the turbo compounding now, we're talking about extreme downspeeding, where you might be down in the really really low two range for a gear ratio, and then you would match it with their fourteen speed which has a really, really low reverse and starter gear. So you're not going to have that issue mm-hmm. you had with the 336s and it struggled to get going, and you, that's gone. Right. right. They've got really low creeper gears in there to handle these high rear end ratios. So really what it's going to come down to is you should start looking for the truck first. You know, in general, you know, you're looking for this year of a Volvo with this engine that the, you do want the 14 speed in it, but you're going to want to, since you're not buying new, if you were buying new, we'd say you build it with this, 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 and this. When you're buying used, well, right. you may not find exactly what you're looking for. In the Volvo, you have a better shot, but so it, it's probably going to come down to looking at each individual truck and saying, is it spec right? Okay. Okay. Well, I, I guess my thinking was, was pretty off on that, on the, the West coast gearing, which everybody talks about. Yeah. It's well, so, you know, well, it's so, hip, so let's it's so hilly and steep. Yeah. But so let's talk about, I, I let, let's talk about the turbo compounded D13 setup properly. The one thing we get so excited about this setup is that truck is capable of cruising in three different gears. You have a huge range you can cruise in efficiently. So you set it up to run in direct or under at times and we have overdrive gears. So you have this, you can set this truck up to run really efficiently at 57 and all the way up to like 75. That's the beauty of the setup. You get this big operating range up at the top, but that's achieved by having that crazy high gear ratio that you were worried about. Right. So we have tons of speed. You match that that 207 or whichever, that really low gear with an overdrive in the <laughs> transmission, and you've got a 100-mile-an-hour truck. Yeah. And see, and, I, and I've kind of developed through what I've been doing. Uh, I drive slow. I drive the speed limit. Or, which you is know, fine. But 60, now, a lot of times I'm doing 59. Now, there's, uh, that's awesome. Really, that, and we've talked about that forever. The other thing we should clarify, when you say West Coast, do you mean the three West Coast states, or do you mean the western part of the U.S.? Well, the western, you know, Idaho, Utah. Well, yeah, Arizona, so, so what you didn't, you, you know, you mentioned that it, the speeds are slow on the West Coast. That's true. Get into Idaho, it's 80 miles an hour. Right. Yeah, so you do need, if you're going to run that, you do want to spec that way to be able to run really efficiently in California at 57 or 58. And if you want to 
run 75 in Idaho, where the 80 mile an hour states, and of course you're going to lose fuel mileage going 80 miles an hour, but when the truck is spec'd right, at least you are as efficient as possible at that speed. Right. Okay. So yeah, to, so you are going to be looking at a very high gear ratio here. So just get used to that thought. You're going to be in the very low twos. Okay. Okay. Now, if you decide to spec any other truck, it may be a DD15. You can kind of get down into these numbers. All the other trucks are going to be very different. One of the uh, Bruce, right. one of the things I might want to talk to you guys about soon. We we've got an idea I've been working on for an app, um, because specking is getting so complicated now. It, 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 here's a good example. Even looking at a full Volvo driveline, your specs can be wildly different depending on which engine you chose. That's just within Volvo. Now we know you should spec a pack car very differently. And now we have all these proprietary platforms, and it's getting really hard to help people understand this. So we're actually thinking there may be a, a place for an app here that could do this when you're looking for a truck. And there's a bunch it. of other things we could throw in there on the app that would help buying yeah. trucks. You guys, you got, you brought up that pack car motor. Yeah. Have you guys uh, been hearing anything about the brand new one that they have out? Uh, the, the, the company I'm with, they've already lost, they've already lost a couple of them. Yeah. Brand I, new motors. Yeah. I haven't heard anything. No, not, not like real world experience. Yeah. I know of it. And part of the problem is we never yeah. really learned the last version. That's our problem. We don't know that yeah. engine well enough and now there's a new one. So I guess we need to jump in and try yeah. to learn that new one. But that that's kind of my point it's, it's, that maybe this would be a really good use of an app. Because this is starting to get complicated. And it looks like it's going to get, we, we have the new international engine coming out that we don't know anything about, but it looks really promising. Um, Pack Car's got another design. So this is getting more and more complicated every year. Yeah. Sounds like it'd be pretty helpful. I think we might look into that. Pretty. Yeah. Well, that was my big question, but I really appreciate it. Uh, going over that and giving me some insight. Yeah, when when, so when you really start looking at specific trucks, call us then and we'll go through the details on that. It, it's getting harder to just say, here's a generic spec to go look for. Let's, uh, let's go to Idaho. We've got lines open if you want to jump in right now. 855-950-3835. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi guys, we got a '04 Kenworth. I've got it's uh, it's not the Acer. It's the 3406E 6NZ. It's got forty thousand miles on a complete rebuild, out of frame rebuild. New ECM, new turbo, the full tilt manifold. Everything. Pyrometer is on the exhaust side, and I can't even run a 10,000-pound load without getting that pyrometer up close to 11 or 12 if I keep my foot in it. When you you said the pyrometer is on the exhaust side, in the exhaust manifold or in the exhaust pipe? 
in the exhaust pipe. Well, that's the wrong place, but okay. How high does it go? Uh, it would just keep climbing if I kept my foot in it. And how many pound of turbo boost does it make? It can make 42. 42 pounds. 42 a lot pounds. of power. What's the size of the turbine housing? Is it a 132 or a 145? The 145, 80 millimeters. Okay. Who programmed the ECM? Cat. Caterpillar. Yes. It's built for heavy haul. What kind of truck? Is it? Oh, you said it's in a Kenworth. No. You say a Kenworth? It's a Kenworth T800, yes. Okay. I would usually have uh, built the engine. Uh, company out of Utah. Stock injector. Stock Do what? Stock injectors and stock camshaft or no? Yes. I, I, I don't know how a stock engine can make 42 pounds of boost with that big of a turbo. So if, if this has a stock program, stock injector, stock camshaft, with no, a waste it's, got a, it's, got no, it's got a, it's not a stock ECM. It's got a, it's well, not Cat a stock ECM. Be. This, this is, uh, they programmed it, they programmed it for uh, 650 horsepower. But it's not a stock mm-hmm. program. No, it's got the Caterpillar heavy haul program in it. I'm surprised Cat's doing that with warranty. They didn't do it with warranty. They said I wouldn't oh. have a warranty if I had it. Oh, okay. That would make sense. But I, yeah. haul, I haul, I haul 150,000 pounds of mountains. So I yeah, have enough course. power to get it up. So it's got the 145 housing with the 80 compressor wheel, which is good. He's got the, the manifold on it. Um, what kind of muffler do you have on it? It doesn't have any muffler. It hadn't had a muffler since I bought it. Okay, no muffler. So we've got a straight stack. And it has the air filter under the hood. Do you have the fleet air filter in it? Hey, do... Nope, it's on its way here. Does it have the air filter under the hood? Because the T-800 can be specced both ways. It it does. It does have the air filter under the hood. Okay. And I ordered the fleet air filter on Monday, so it's on its way here. Okay. You might want to check... Okay, here's what I want you to check. Get the housing of the air filter. And if it's a Donaldson or a Nelson, call the company and give them the part number of your air filter housing. If you can't find that, you give them the air filter part number and you tell them the diameter of the inlet and the outlet and have them give you the CFM. I'm going to do a rough calculation and tell you what I think you need CFM for the 42 pound of boost okay it's going to take me a little bit here but i'm going to come up with something so you know with the horsepower that this is programmed to and that turbo net manifold the boost is i think where it should be Uh, you know i i I would test for boosting just because we do that i don't think that's a problem You, you shouldn't be getting that hot Anywhere even close to that. Yeah, I pressure. Yeah. 
I pressurize the entire system. Okay, uh, nothing there. Zero, like zero leak. So my thought is, if your truck was at my shop, I would put a test boost gauge in it and compare the gauges in case it's off. Because if you had a stock turbo on it and made this heat, it's like, okay, you got a turbo issue. If you had mufflers, they could be restrictive mufflers. Um, you know, there's some things we look at, but everything sounds like it's making sense. The, the, the horsepower with what Cat did is sensible for this engine. The boost kind of matches the horsepower. So I'm not seeing where this should be getting hot with the exception being um, a boost leak or the, the pyrometer's wrong. And you check for a boost leak. So I think I would check for... And I did, I did check the pyrometer. I, I've probed all the wires. The only thing I can't check is the gauge. I don't know so how to do that. I tried to do so some the, research and... I'm going to give you... I'm, here's where your problem is. You're you're at 721 horsepower at 42 pound of boost, and you need 1,910 CFM of air, and the air filter under the hood is nowhere close to that. So that's your problem. Um, if you think about a, a 379, 389, or a W9 with the two Vortox 15 inch diameters. Uh, those were 1,700 each, so they have 3,400 CFM. But you're being restricted from that one air filter under the hood. If you look up in front of the right front tire, you may be able to mount a second filter there called a far echo light. And that would give you another, I think it's 1,400 on top of what you currently have. But... Um, I don't think they ever made a single air filter as high as 1,910. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It makes me feel better because I can actually go and get the, the external air filters and put a dual on there like the, like the W9s and 379s. You know, it, it, I mean, when you're pulling that kind of weight, when you're pulling that kind of weight and you want to use 42 pound of boost, man, that's, you're really working that truck really hard uh, you might just well i on it an extra hey, half a gear hey pete i go pretty slow hey pete yes um mm -hmm. if, if he got a vin number from a t8 that had external air cleaners would you be able to just get the parts and do this factory yes mm -hmm. for sure yeah that'd be the way to go it would look good Right. And again, we know, you know, aerodynamics is important, but when you're at 150,000 pounds, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and yeah, this, yeah, the, you know, the Bruce is on the right track here. You're just not getting enough air into that engine. So whether or not that's the overheating problem, it's probably a big part of it. But even if it wasn't, I would still want to make this change. Yeah, I definitely got to do something because I'm not going to burn it up. I spent too much money on it. Right. I got the power. More power than everybody thinks it's making. Say that again, JR. I said I would get this thing dynoed because I have a feeling that it's making a lot more power than. Uh, that's a good point too. Yeah, good point. Because I know what two it, my, my guys. Oh, 
oh, this will make 650 horsepower, and that's actually like 650 to the ground, which is closer to 750 flywheel, and then it does 800 when we actually test it. <laughs> and the guy's going, oh, I didn't want to get power. And I'm like, uh-huh. That's fairly you had, You guys do have a remote tune in Idaho Falls, but I don't know if they have a dyno or not. Probably not. Most places Plus, don't have dinos. Right. Terribly right. Yeah, the odds. Yeah, that... and the only place this truck runs is Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Utah. Generally, the bigger you... cat dealers have dinos. Right. Do you want, want, want me to tell you an old story about a skinny windshield Pete that came with a 335, and he bought a big Cam 1400 and put in it and couldn't figure out no exhaust gas temp gauge. Uh, sharp mechanic guy from down in uh, uh, the West Virginia, but we'd get get to him by way of Steubenville. But anyway, um, I was working on his truck on a Sunday, and we're looking at the burnt manifold, burnt turbo. So I took the air filter housing number, and I called Donaldson. It was 885 CFM. Oof. Stock 400 needed 1,060. And the next Sunday, I came back with Donaldson's largest air filter. At the time, it was 1,400 CFM. We put it on, and his problem went away. Then we also put That's the right gauges in gonna, it, too. I'm going to go ahead and, and just... Uh, I know I can get a hold of Kenworth over here and get a VIN number for a, a T800 that's got the external filters, and I'm just going to put two of them on there and just plumb it that way. I think it's a good idea. You know, just to play it safe. You know, for uh, a test, you could pull the air filter out and go for a quick ride, and the temperature drops down, and it should drop down greatly. You know you, you found the problem. Yes. But sometimes, Pete, if, if it's still, if it's a... Uh, if the tube is too small, the piping coming to the turbo, it still will have the restriction. And also, when you when you tee it together, if you put the two external air filters, when the right one comes from the left one, don't put a T in it. You want a Y. Packar makes a plastic Yeah, that way you got to split. Yeah, the split. Y is three so inches less easy. restriction than the T. And while we're talking air filters, people that are redoing old trucks like the old auto cars had that 48-tube far air filter on the right side, external. That thing was really restrictive. So if you're redoing an old auto car or any old truck that has that 48-tube far, that air filter has to go. So the... The FLD Freightliners is the one where we developed the way to put the far air filter, the round far cone-shaped filter. That's the 1400 CFM. It's seven inches in, seven inches out. That's where we, on that truck, is where we would tee it in and mount it in front of the right front steer tire. I got plenty of room in there. I can. I've got plenty of room in there for extra filters. What we did on. I'd really appreciate it. I, I think you guys figured the problem out. All right. 
You know how T six hundred had the air filter going across the engine. We would take two of those and have vents on each side, and we would have the air filter running parallel with the engine. And the bracket that they had that went between the number two and three valve cover that bolted down to the Jake brake studs. We bought another one of those and put it between one and two, and we would weld a steel plate in there, like a 316 steel plate, and mount the second air filter on it, and then come out of the one on the driver's side with a 90-degree elbow and a T coming out of the front on the passenger side, front of the air filter, and then down into the turbo. And that was how we did it with the T600. All right, Jim. This is because we, we were building seven and eight hundred horsepower, and we needed that, and, and you're there, so yeah. All right, I'm we, definitely going to take your advice and do it. We want to hear a report back. I definitely will, and uh, I'm on the, the your truck and tribe page, and good, good. I'll All keep right. everybody up to date. And Excellent. See what we can't come up with now, it's time for me to get on the phone to Kenworth and start finding VIN numbers. There you go. All right. We'll look forward to hearing back from you on that one. Let's, uh, oop, looks like Herschel heard us talking about him. Herschel, good morning. Hey, Kevin. What do you think? Well, I can tell you, well, I can tell you, you guys were talking that Christine was a 12.7. It's really a 14 liter. <laughs> oh, is it um, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's a 14 liter. The first set of injectors I had my local guy put in, and they were bought at Williams Detroit in Columbus. He put them in. They lasted a year. The second set Detroit put in because Todd was busy. So at that time, they put all six because they tested, did the dye and all that good stuff, and that. They didn't tell me how many were leaking that time, but they put another set of six in. They went ahead and covered it. Then this last set was 13 months since Todd did them in the beginning. I'm, I'm getting the months all screwed up. <laughs> no, Todd put them in. No, wait a minute. Todd put them in. They lasted eight months. Detroit put the second set in at eight months. They made it to 13 months. Todd was busy at that time, so I went to Detroit again up in Columbus, Williams, Detroit. They checked it all out. That's when they told me three of the six were leaking, so they put another set of six in. That's the set that's in there now, and they've been in for 10,200 miles, and I got 3.4 already. Got it. it. Okay. Hmm. So that's the progression. They put three or found three bad ones. Why did they replace all six? Just because they recommended a six pack. I, that's just what they said. I, that's the only answer I have. I didn't think to uh, ask anything other than that. Yeah, and I wouldn't have either. If they're willing to do it under warranty, I guess I would have taken it. But now that we think oh, about no. it. Oh, no. Oh, no, Kevin. Oh, that wasn't oh, no. warranty. Oh, no. That, the third set that's in there right now was 13 months since the beginning set because when you don't have them put them in, you get 12 months of guarantee. If they put them in, you get two years. Uh, so I was like two weeks past oh, 12 no months, so way. I had to pay again. And it was six 
$6,600. Yeah, this set, yeah, I had to pay full price for these. Wow. At that point, I had to put the three in. I understand their thought, but now, you know, if you put three in, you have less of a chance of getting another bad injector, which is that, somewhat of an issue for these. That's a, that's my whole point on this is, is that maybe we, even if it is under warranty, we should stop that mentality of replace all six over and over and over. Maybe we should be te- once maybe do all six. If you've got a lot of miles on the ones that are in there, but once you show up with a problem that quick, maybe it, it doesn't make sense anymore. We should stop doing that. Figure out which ones are, Bad and fixed, replace those. Okay, so, uh, Pete, I have a theory, or Bruce, or JR, whoever's there. This thing has your guys' tune on it, so it's not that stock level, obviously, because it's been tuned. I get lackadaisical, depending on the day. Some days, I'm really good at being mindful, using my foot, climbing hills, the whole thing. Other days, you get daydreaming, you're halfway up the hill, you look down, it's like, ah, shit. You're at 40 PSI. Hurry up, knock that off, and bring it down. Is that a contributing factor? What if we detune so it's not quite as powerful? Would that make any difference? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you have a fuel issue and you're getting fuel dilution, yeah, turning it down a little bit might help some. I don't think it's the problem, and I don't think it's going to fix the problem. But it might make things better if our, okay. our goal is let's just run this truck for a year or until you decide you want to buy something else. Turning it down might not be a bad idea. Okay. I mean, you can try for what it takes. Right. Because I, tu- I am a remote tuner. Sorry, I got the computer. All we got to do is plug it up and yeah, there do you your go. thing. There you go. I think I'd try it. Can't hurt. I've already done every fuel line and they're all hard plastic because it got brand new fuel tanks a number of years ago. And I say a number of years ago, but in actuality, we're talking three to 400,000 miles probably because I do locals. I don't do that many miles. So it's got all new lines, brand new fuel tanks. It's got a new OE fuel pump because that's what Detroit thought that it was a couple of visits ago. They took the fast system completely out because they thought that was it, and replumbed everything with new fuel lines. I don't know what else would make fuel go in the oil. Yeah, I don't point, have sodium and potassium. At, at this point, I think the goal is let's just run this thing and watch and see what happens. Okay. I wouldn't spend any more money on it right now, I don't honestly. Know I, I, you could redo your own tune, so I, I may do that. I, that would be worthwhile to do because it may help. But other than that... I think I just run this thing and sample once in a while. And, and let's watch. The The downside to having fuel in the oil is you right. sh- you'll get wear metals. What What if you don't? Or what if you do and they're not that big of a well, deal and you're all we're trying to do is get this truck through to where, you know, the truck prices collapse on the used market and you can go buy something else. The sad part of it is... The boys in Saxonburg did my end frame in October of 2012. I've only put ad oil in, I think, if I remember correctly, five, maybe six times ever. And it has 684,000 on the end frame now. That's awesome. 
it, it never uses a drop. And I do like 18,000 mile changes. I know. Don't change your oil. Change your thinking. Sorry, Kevin. I cannot get there. I just can't do it. That scares me to death. <laughs> I, I got well, the OPS, but she's getting new oil every 18,000 regardless. I just can't do it. Well, there you go. And, and you might want to go to 15,000 now. And just just do fifteen thousand mile oil changes, and let's just run this thing. Okay, so at fifteen and five more thousand, should I go ahead and do Lucas, or try it without it one more time and see what happens? Um, you know what? I still think I'd throw a little Lucas in there. I throw a gallon in when you change it, just just get to give us a little more protection. Okay. If you do get fuel dilution, you've got a little more viscosity there, uh, but I. I'm starting to think that you may just run this thing, change the oil every 15,000 sample, maybe every other time just to see what's going on. And we may be talking a year from now and this thing may be running just fine. So should I go ahead and do another sample at 15 when I get there? What do you think? Think I, that's a waste? I, would, I wouldn't do it this time. I think I would do 15,000-mile oil changes and sample every other time. And all we would be looking for is to make sure we didn't get some crazy fuel dilution like 7 or 8. You know, just to make sure we something doesn't blow out and get really right. bad. But I, I would do it every other oil change, I think. Personal, can I tell you something? This last time. Yeah, go ahead, Bruce. <laughs> my very first Dodge Cummins, my 89, I had 308 gears in it, and it would put the five-speed. And I was in Colorado on a family vacation in 91 or 92 in the summer. And we were going down to Salida to do whitewater rafting. And I was cruising through the mountains at 95 miles an hour. I was younger than Kevin. <laughs> so anyway. I was, I was about to say, the, why uh, only 95? <laughs> you were doing the Kevin Rutherford speed backwards. That's 59, right. 95. That's right. So anyway, a couple days later, I go to leave to drive back to Pennsylvania. And as I opened the cap, I noticed there was an oil film on the back window of the cap. So I'm standing there thinking, where, where, where did that come from? I pulled the dipstick out. I was 50% over on fuel in the oil. So in the parking lot of a condo in Breckenridge, I found the tools and I found a pan and I drained that whole, that engine held three gallons. I drained six gallons out of it. Oof. And then I had to go borrow some parts and pull the fuel pump off. And I bought another vehicle and drove it into Denver and had seals put in it. it cost me $28 to have the seals put in it. And it fixed the pump, fixed the problem, and then I drove it on home. And that truck to this day is still running. I still like and the it, story of the guy with the big cam that blew the oil pan off and he drove it up in the barn and you went over and it was okay. <laughs> yep. Drove it with no oil pan on it. Up a ramp. <laughs> and he's only about six miles from us. And uh, anybody, well, I could take them and show them the barn. <laughs> anyway, um, I wouldn't worry about that fuel. Fuel is a lubricant, but... Uh, doesn't have a lot of lubricity in it. I'll tell you what to do. 
the Lucas fuel conditioner has the best lubricity. Put the Lucas fuel conditioner in it. That wouldn't hurt either. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I think I would do all these things and then just run it. You're going to be a, you're our guinea pig. We're going to see what's going to happen with this thing. Okay, so while I'm talking to you guys, I'm walking around a truck that a guy I know is wanting to sell. It is a 2014 International. By the size of that ProStar, I dare say it's probably a used-to-be Walmart truck. It has a CPL 3937. I just climbed up there to look. He says he just put a $7,000 complete after-treatment system on it. 600,000 miles, 10 speed. Don't know the rear ends because I couldn't open the door. And he wants thirty eight thousand. I mean, to me, that's a twenty thousand dollar truck, not thirty eight. Well, and and how did he do an entire after treatment that cheap? They're more than that, aren't they, Pete? I, they are. Yeah, that that, that number doesn't sound right. Me. Yeah, that number doesn't yeah. sound right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Take it for what it is. All righty, guys. I'll I, let you be so you can get on to another one. There you go. Run this, and, and we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? I think I've thought of a nick. Well, a couple of things, but I think I've thought of a nickname for you, Kevin. What's that? Um, we're gonna call you. We're gonna call you Mirror, because you always kind of look and do a lot of things. So. <laughs> Uh, what's on your mind today? Guy that, a, well, when I was when I was coming home the other night, fully loaded, and it's probably one of the biggest hills I go up in the area that I run. And uh, I just come over the top of the hill and I'm getting ready to uh, grab a gear, and all of a sudden, the big whoosh, and it's like, oh, I know what happened. So I just hit the shoulder, put the hood up. And sure enough, the turbo boot of the, for the charger right in front of the turbo was hanging off in the breeze. And it's like, well, the clamp is gone. So I'm only like 50 miles from home, 50 or 60 miles from home Saturday night. And uh, so I pull out my toolbox and I said, I think i got a clamp. And I, oh, look at that. i got a clamp. And it's like, oh, it's not the right size. And it's like, I've got two of them. Well, one was a slightly wider band than the other one, so I couldn't put them together to make two into one. So I looked around again, and I found a six-inch diameter stainless steel hose clamp. And I thought, I'll put that on, and I'll drive like a like old grandma, because I didn't really have any hills to climb after that. And I kept it below 20 pounds of boost, and I made it home and hey. went and bought new turbo boots and clamps. Hey, Paul. I have a story similar yeah. to that. So. Clearly, the last time I left Pittsburgh Power, turbo boots were my big issue, and I had to get them all right. But on one of them, the same thing happened. I had clamps with me, but I kept replacing things and fixing things, and I had all these clamps and broke down on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And I've got all these clamps, and I'm like, none of them are going to work. And one, I was trying to put two clamps together, and one of them was exactly what you said. The band was too wide. I had a pair of tin snips with me. I sat there, and it took me about a half hour. I actually took tin snips and trimmed down the sides of the band long, and I had to 
trim it down, then try it. Oh, I didn't go far enough. Then I had to take it all apart again and trim it down. But I actually got it to work. Yeah. So it's always handy to have some tools and yeah. a couple of spare parts for just the yeah, one day. And, so, and, and not that uh, I ever watched yeah. an episode of MacGyver, but you probably should. Yeah. Air jumper cables and the yeah. border and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. we're, we're welded this back together. So That's right. So, But a, a, a Mack truck I drove in New Zealand, it had a Mack transmission in it. Uh, it had a deep reduction. And the Mac transmission, you know, you select reverse or forwards low or forwards high. And then you just shifted the lever. So I had a the Mac truck I had that I drove, it actually had five reverses in it. You know, you reverse and then go first, second, third, fourth, fifth. So if you wanted to back really fast. Oh, I see what you're saying. You couldn't get yeah, I, I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. It, well, really, so, you know, we could say every transmission with a splitter has two reverse gears, but that other one is really <laughs> fast. Yeah, well, I, I the last Kenworth I had, um, actually, no, it was an international. It had 18 speed, and I, I used to like showing off. So when I'd pull out of the driveway after I washed the truck at the yard and then pull out onto the road and then get straight, and I'd put it in high range and back my B train. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so a B train's a bit of doubles, but an, a B double, not an A double. So, right. Yeah, but there you go. You can you can never have too much backing practice. So I'll let you carry on. All right. Thank thanks, you. Much. Thanks for the call. Let's go to now. The calls are piling up. Um, let's go to Oklahoma. Dave, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. Say, I just caught the tail end. Of, I just, I just turned it on. Caught the tail end of a guy talking about the injector problem he had. Well, I, I've had similar problems with my twelve seven um, with these injectors, and I'm just wondering if anybody's ever tried this uh, industrial injector company, Indu- industrial injection service. Man, they seem like they got everything over there. They're all American made. And get away from the Detroit stuff. Pete, Hello? know anything about these? We, I've heard of them, but we haven't tried them. Um, so I don't know how they are. Don't oh, know. okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm oh, good. Good, One I'm reason sorry. we stick is the warranty. So if it leaves here and they're in another state, there's a you know leak, then it's back on Detroit. So I haven't tried them, and, and that might be something worth looking into because, you know, obviously we know – um, there's a problem with the Detroit injectors on the 60 series. Yeah, I got it. Well, listen, your warranty isn't worth a damn if you got to wait for the injectors anyways. This place will ship them to you 24 hours. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 the, the last problem I had was with my number four a few months back, and uh, Redneck Diesel down here had a set of them. But uh, he wouldn't just—he wouldn't break up a set just to put one in my tractor. So I waited for a day and a half to get one from from uh, <laughs> from Freightliner. But I, I just wondered if anybody had any experience with them. It sure—I mean, if you go to their website, it sure looks like they got everything covered. Um, all American made. I mean, the injectors look really nice. I, I was just wondering. Yeah, it'd be worth a shot. That's all. Yeah, that's all I got. 
All right. I mean, we can have that shipped anywhere. We're going to wait overnight for injectors. You might as well get them from. There you go. Try something different. I don't know. Yep. Thank you. Let, yep. yep. Elgin. Let's give it a shot. Let's go to Ohio. Craig, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call here. Uh, I just wanted to weigh in on that Detroit injector issue as well. I, I got a truck. I've been driving this for 10 years, and uh, I think it's on its fourth set of injectors. And uh, Tom Bach told me we... I was disgusted with him back when these injectors were really bad back in, you know, like 14, 15, that era. Yeah. He, we talked about it and I said, you know, what if I just drain a gallon out every 10,000, put a fresh gallon in it and then keep with a extended, but not too long oil drain. And, you know, that's been 900,000 miles and working pretty good. I, you know, I get disappointed every time I put a set of injectors in it and, I, I'm, same thing. I, I'm almost thinking that maybe we should just try to ignore this problem. I, I, I bet you at 900,000 miles, I've averaged between 5 and 7% fuel dilution the whole time. And, you, and you're still going. And it sounds scary, but... I, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I'm almost thinking I'm that, you know, and I'm not saying everybody who has fuel dilution should just ignore it. But I'm saying when you're at a point where Herschel is right now, he's already spent all this money, he's not getting any better results. Why not ignore it? Yep. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Tom I, told me, uh, yeah, you know, I know he just recently passed, but he told me to watch your viscosity and watch your iron, and, and neither one gets too high or too low. And, and that's kind of the so, point oh. of throw some Lucas in there. It'll keep your viscosity up, and then watch the wear metals, and maybe we do more, you know, oil changes than before. But I have a feeling Herschel could have this truck a year from now, and it's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So once you get it figured out, let me know. I'll be uh, glad to hear it. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the heads up on that. That uh, our idea worked for you. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, we're going to be back in just about eight minutes now with the pit. Uh, I think I'm joined by John today, and I think it's John and John. I think we have a new guest today that John is bringing with him. Uh, So we'll be back in just about eight minutes or so. And we will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health as well. So stick around for the pit. We'll be right back. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. And we'll do it again next week. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.